We're going through the series of James, and the series is entitled Living Well, and I'm doing James chapter 1, which is about uh, how to overcome difficulties and, and trials and temptations in our lives, and I was looking on Google, and that was the most appropriate picture I could find, which is a bear approaching a tent with a view to looking inside and hopefully, well probably, shocking the, the occupants, and I was just sharing a joke, I'll share it again this morning, when I was in Canada on holiday, we had this guide that was telling us these stories about wild animals that you meet in Canada, and he was saying about, I don't think this actually happened, but he said about two friends who were walking along in a wood and came across this bear, and um, one friend took to his feet and scarpered, and the other friend said to him, called after him, and said, um, it's no good, you won't be able to outrun a bear, they run really fast, and he shouted back, yeah, but I can run faster than you, <laughs> I can outrun you, <laughs> so... Um, But uh, that's the end of the bear story for today. We're going to read James chapter 1. And there is so much in this chapter, you could could do a series on just this chapter. So I'm not going to do all of it. I'm just going to pick out the points that I feel God is wanting me to emphasise this morning. So James chapter 1, and I'm going to start at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers... Whenever you face trials of many kinds, that's quite an unusual way to start, isn't it? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work. It has to happen so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I just think there's a a whole sermon to be (laughs) preached in that verse, isn't there? You may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's will for us. And the next verse is related to it. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. That's a promise. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man shouldn't think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. But blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then moving on to verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this Not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. 
Okay. So I'm just going to pick out a few key points from these verses. And the first point I wanted to make was the Bible. It says in verse 2, when, not if. When you face trials, not if you experience them. And, you know, God is a loving Heavenly Father. And he, like any good father, just wants to prepare his children for what lies ahead. And, you know, there may be trouble ahead. And, and God doesn't sugarcoat it to us. He doesn't pretend that once we follow as Jesus that everything will be fine, that we'll never experience another difficulty in our lives. He, he explains, yes, there will be difficulties in your life, but I am with you. And he gives us very detailed advice on how we are to respond to the difficulties in our lives and how we can help one another because we're part of a family. The Bible's very practical, very down-to-earth. And Jesus was very practical and down-to-earth, and that's one of the things I love about him. And in his parables, he often spoke about troubles coming into people's lives. He didn't sugarcoat it. He said it like it was. And he, he talked about the parable of his word being like a rock that you could build your life upon. And he talks about the house built on the rock. And in Matthew seven twenty-four, he says this, Everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. But this is the, this is the crunch. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And I think, you know, we've, we've seen pictures on the news where floods have hit houses and caused devastation. Uh, and Jesus is saying that will happen, that does happen. Yet the house does not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But the reason I'm mentioning that is that Jesus is talking quite clearly there about people do go through difficult lives, times in their life, like a tsunami sometimes. It does happen. And sometimes it happens all of a sudden and with no warning. In fact, that's often how these problems come into our lives, isn't it? And although I'm not myself experiencing this at the moment, I've got somebody who's very close to me who's going through a time of difficulty, and it's just suddenly come out of nowhere. And that is what happens Um, Jesus talked in another parable about the seed of his word falling into somebody's heart and it's springing up quickly, but the soil is shallow and when the sun comes, the plant scorches and withers. And he says that's, that's like when trouble and persecution come into your life because of the word, because of your belief in Jesus. Uh, some people quickly fall away because they've got a shallow soil. They haven't rooted down deep into God's word. So the Bible does make it clear that life can be difficult. And the other um, verse I've just put up there is uh, about the treasure in clay pots. Um, and that's from 2 Corinthians, verse, chapter 4, verse 7. And um, I remember listening to a talk, and I, I'm looking at Tani because she was there as well, and it was a, a talk to ladies by Wendy Virgo quite a few years ago called um, The Treasure in Clay Jars. And it was the verse where, where it says in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And the thing that Wendy was saying was, she said, you know, we're all clay pots, we're all human beings, and although we've got the treasure of God inside us, in many ways we're just like the people around us who don't know Jesus you know, we, we can chip and we can break and, and we can bash against one another. And, you know, we're vulnerable, we're fragile, we experience sickness, we experience ill health sometimes, we experience disappointments and problems in our lives and fractured relationships, all the things that is part of human relationships and experience, we experience them as well. But the difference is we have this treasure and it's real. 
This treasure in us is real. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have God himself in residence within us. So although it's surrounded by this fragile pot, inside the treasure is real. And that God is always with us and always in us. And he never goes away. Sometimes when you're going through a rough patch, it feels like, where's God? You look around on a universe in which God appears to be absent. But I'm telling you this morning, if you're going through a difficult time, that God never leaves you or forsakes you. He doesn't come and go. He is there for the duration. (laughs) So, and sometimes he delivers us from our troubles, and I think that's what we always hope for. I I was just um, reading the passage in the Bible where... um, God talk, uh, uh, Jesus talks to Peter and he says, Simon Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And you're sitting there thinking, gosh, if I was Peter, I'd be thinking, yes, what have you prayed? You know, um, what have you prayed, Lord? You know, I'm hoping you're praying for deliverance. But what Jesus said was, I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you think, oh, <laughs> that's perhaps not quite what Peter was hoping for, but you know, Jesus did pray for him that his faith wouldn't fail. So sometimes he delivers us. And I was saying again in, um, in the book of Acts, Acts 12, you read about Peter having this miraculous escape from prison. An angel comes and delivers him. But then in the same chapter, it talks about James, who, who was put to death with the sword. So you've got contrasting experiences. And we'd all like to be like Peter rather than James, I think. Is that a fair comment? But... You know, and sometimes it can be hard when you're hearing about great deliverances. Somebody's been healed and you haven't been. And you think, why, Lord? And then you can start drawing conclusions from that, thinking, well, maybe God loves them more than me. No, God loves you and he is with you. And whether he delivers you from a trial or walks you through it, you still have that treasure within you. And it's glorious and it's real. So we've talked about the fact that, yes, we do go through trials. And you may be sitting there thinking, why? God is all-powerful and he's all-loving. Why do I have to go through difficult times in my life? What's it all about? Why does God allow it? And that is a huge question. I think that's one of the questions we cover in Christianity Unwrapped. And I can't give a full answer, but there's a hint and there's part of an answer in this verse, verse 3 and 4. It says, for Christians at any rate... It says, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And the way I interpret that is it's all about learning to trust the Lord and hang on in there when you don't understand. And I remember reading a book that put it very simply. It said, faith is for those times when you don't understand. How many of you have been in those times when you don't understand? Yeah, and that's what faith is for. It's about learning to trust God. And God is trying to build a relationship with us. And it's difficult because he is almighty. He is infinite. He is invisible. He isn't like us. He isn't a bigger version of a human being. He is other than us. He's totally different. But he wants an intimate relationship with us. And in order to have that relationship, there has to be trust. If you think about relationships and friendships you have there's trust there there has to be you can't have a relationship without it and I've discovered in my life that if I'm going to go on with God I have to trust him about the things I don't understand because sometimes he does explain them sometimes in retrospect I see what it was about but there are unanswered questions in our lives where we don't get to know this side of glory what it was about 
And you have that choice that you either distance yourself from God or you say, I'm going to trust you, come what may. And I'm wanting to encourage you this morning that if you, if you continue to trust God and you believe in him and obey him and follow him, even through the difficult times, you will grow in your faith. You will become more like Jesus. And that's God's aim for us. It's not easy, though. But, that is, but nobody ever said being a Christian was easy. I think I've established that in the first part of this message. So how we face trials and tribulations will affect our growth. And I know when I go through difficult times, it does make me draw closer to Jesus. It does make me rely more on him. Because I think we all live in this kind of fantasy world that we're in control of our lives. But we're not. And Jesus said that. He said, you can't even live an hour longer than I've allotted you. You can't even add an inch to your height. And I would like to. (laughs) But I can tell you that, apart from wearing shoes... um, no, you can't. And he said, if you can't control something as little as that, you, you're driving on the road, you can't control what other drivers are doing, you can't control health and strength, you can't control other people's actions, really. So, you know, it's a fantasy to think we can be in control of our lives. Jesus said, hand it over to me, trust me with your life. And he gives us these amazing verses about all things working together for good, even the bad things, even death works together for good to those who love God. And accord according to his purposes. And trials are sent by the devil, but they are permitted by God. And Satan's plan is always to destroy. The Bible says that. It says he's a murderer, a liar, and a thief. That's what it says. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what he's about. And that's when he sends, allows difficulties to come into your life, that's what he's about. But God, who is all-powerful, allows them for a different reason so that we can grow and so that we can be strengthened. So we face trials with joy, the Bible says. I don't think that means we have to say, thank you, God, that I've broken my leg. I don't think it means thanking God for the trial itself necessarily. But you thank God that he has a purpose in it and that he is with you. And embracing God's dealings with you. You know, sometimes God is addressing issues in our lives, isn't he? I know he addresses impatience in my life quite often. (laughs) It's about learning to embrace some of the things that God is dealing with you, even if you feel vulnerable. And he promises that if we continue to endure, if we continue to hold on to God, and of course when I talk about holding on to God, really it's God holding on to you. You wouldn't be able to hold on to God if he weren't holding on to you. But you hold on to God. It says it will produce maturity. And I've got some quotes here from um, great men of God who, who've, who've proved it. And so one is William Carey. I love this. He says, I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. And this man was the father of modern mission. He was a missionary to India. He encountered amazing hardship and difficulty and loss and he's, he knew he wasn't one of the brightest and the best. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the box, whatever we want to say. But he said, I, I know that when God's given me a job to do, I will plod. I will keep going. And I think we've all heard of that, haven't we? The plod with God. And sometimes our lives are like that. You just feel like you're plodding on. And I was reading a book a while back, and I can't think who it was. So I can't quote the person's name. But it was a leader of a church, and he... He went to a prayer meeting one evening, and he didn't actually want to go. <laughs> he wanted to stay at home and just relax and watch the telly. But he went, because um, he, he was a leader, so he went. 
And he said, as he approached the building where the prayer meeting was to be held, he said, I I saw these two giant angels over the top of the building. He said, it was amazing. They were there. And I thought, wow, what's going to happen tonight? There's going to be something amazing going on tonight. He shot in and they had the meeting. And he said, nothing happened. He said, he said, it was just an ordinary meeting. He said, it was good. All the people that were normally there were there, and they were praying the prayers they normally pray. And he came home, and he thought, what was that about? And he, he said, I think what God was saying to me was, what I think of as the plod and humdrum isn't to God. It's special to God. You know, when you turn up for prayer meetings and you're thinking, oh, you know, you might think nothing special's happened, but to God, that's precious. And so I'm recommending the plod with God. <coughs> Are there any more? Yes. No, no, we'll go back one. I think I've I've gone ahead of myself a little bit. Um, The other point I just wanted to make, really, was that when we go through trials, God does give us a real choice. We do have a choice about how we respond. And I think we have to understand in God and in our life with God and our relationship with God, we really do have a choice. Sometimes I think we think God is like some celestial sort of caretaker and we can make all sorts of wrong choices and, and somehow God will sort it all out. And God is gracious and God is merciful and we can come to him when we've made all sorts of messes and he does help us. But the choices you make in life are real choices. And, you know, Adam and Eve made a choice in the Garden of Eden and it was a real choice and we've all lived with the consequences of it. And, you know, I just want to say that God does allow you to make real choices in life. And I want to say to you this morning, however close you want to get to God will be determined by you. You can get as close to God as you want to. But that is your choice. Okay? So, uh, the thing about God is that I think, you know, when he came to us in the form of Jesus, his glory was veiled and we, we couldn't see the full glory. Every now and again they did, didn't they, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus revealed his glory and they all fell down in front of him and they were afraid. And then again, when you, when you read in the book of Revelation and, and John saw Jesus in his risen glory, he says he fell at his feet as though dead. You know, and if Jesus were to walk into this room now, I can guarantee that's what we would do. Jesus is all powerful, all powerful, amazing. He is he's beyond our conception, beyond our thought. And if he reveals himself to you, I've, I've spoken to people who've had experiences like this. I remember speaking to the pastor of my old church and he got his call to the ministry when he was 18 years of age and he was in a camping in a tent in the south of France. And he said it felt like God came into that tent and he said, I just hit the deck. He said, I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, I could barely breathe. And that was God calling him into the ministry. And he said, he was in his later years when he told me about this. He said, even now I can't talk about it without welling up, he said. And I don't talk to many people about it because it was such a precious experience. But you see, that's what it's like when God shows up. But on the whole, we don't experience that, do we? And I believe that is because God is giving us a real choice about what we do. He doesn't compel obedience. He gives us a choice. And uh, um, I was attending one of the Christianity Unwrapped courses and somebody actually asked that question. They said, why did God not turn up in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Why didn't he say to them, 
don't, don't, you know, don't eat of the fruit, you know. Why didn't he show at that point when they were being tempted? He was there before and he was there after. But why wasn't he there at the time? And I was reading a book, um, I recommend this book, it's a great book called uh, Life to the Fullest, John 10.10 by Daniel Hill. And um, he, he gives what he considers to be the answer. Why did God not appear at the point when Adam and Eve were being tested in the garden? Why didn't he step in? God didn't intervene when the serpent told his lies. This is because Adam and Eve were truly free to make their choice. He is committed to our freedom and to true intimacy. You can't be free to love God without also being free to reject him. And I just think that is true. Any relationship. And God is always looking to secure our hearts. And that involves a choice. That involves him giving us a choice to either follow him, to trust him, or to disobey, to reject. And it's a real choice. And C.S. Lewis, um, a lovely quote from the Screwtape Letters. I've changed it slightly because, of course, it, was a, it, had, it had to be slightly paraphrased because it's written from the devil's point of view rather than God's. So I've changed it slightly. He said, Satan's cause is never more in danger than when we, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, look around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished. We ask why we have been forsaken and still obey. If you think of Jesus on the cross saying, why have you forsaken me but going through with it? And, you know, there can be times when we feel God's forsaken us, usually at the time when we most feel we need him. But he hasn't. He's promised never to leave us and forsake us. And he will bring us through that trial. And Smith Wigglesworth, I was laughing earlier on today because I was just saying it's a contrast between uh, an Oxford don and, and, and a Bradford plumber who didn't learn to read and write till he was 21. But these men both knew about God. And he says this, a trial is your robing time. You're coming into position and power in God. A trial is your robing time. It's your coming into inheritance. That means in receiving all the things God wants you to have in this life as well as in the life to come. Voice your position in God and you will be surrounded by all the resources of God in the time of trial. The almighty hand of God comes to your weaknesses and says, if you dare to trust me and will not waver, I will abundantly satisfy you out of the treasure house of the Most High. And this man knew what he was talking about. He faced quite a few trials. I mean, he was a man who was used by God to heal many people, but his own daughter was profoundly deaf. Prayed for many times, I'm sure, and never received healing. So what do we do when we're experiencing trials and tests in our lives? Again, the Bible gives us very practical advice and help in this area. The first thing we need to understand is God is for you. God is for you. Regardless of what's happening to you, God is for you. And that can be a really hard thing to understand. Because we think, well, if I love somebody, I wouldn't let them go through that. How can God allow me to go through that? It can be really difficult. But we do believe that God is for us. And what you believe about God in the time of trial is, is very important. Your view on God. Because that, that determines whether you turn to him or again, away from him, I guess, doesn't it? And Tozer said that. He said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
So just think, you know, when you're going through a difficult time, what thoughts do you have about God? Do you sort of feel he's punishing you? Do you feel he's disappointed with you? I don't know. But, you know, the Bible says that he, he is for us and he feels for us in our trials. So in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says this. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, We do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathise with us, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us, we're encouraged, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're going through a difficult time, Jesus is touched by your weakness. He's not remote and unapproachable. He's not coming and going out of your life. He is with you all the time. And he is a tree of life. You know, in the Garden of Eden, um, Adam and Eve were shut off from the tree of life. But through what God has done through Jesus on the cross, he is the tree of life. And we can come to him any time we like and for whatever we like. And we can draw comfort from him and all the things that we need. Turn to him not away from him and know that he feels for you and he cares about what you're going through and uh, there's a little verse in Judges chapter 10 which I remember reading I think I was doing a read through the Bible or something and I got to Judges and I was struggling a bit and then there's this verse that really blessed me because it shows the heart of God and it was the familiar story in Judges where the disciples where where the um, Israelites were saying had gone away from God and then he allowed them to be oppressed and then they would cry out to him and come back to him and he'd send a deliverer and then they'd go away again. Anyway, they'd gone away again um, and he'd, he'd allowed them to be oppressed by the surrounding nations. And it says, The Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And this is the crucial phrase. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. The Bible says he could bear their misery no longer. You've just got this picture of God allowing this bad thing to happen to them. But it says, oh, I can bear their misery no longer. And he acted to save them. And I think that just shows the heart of God and the love of God. He doesn't take pleasure. It says he doesn't take pleasure in the sufferings of man. He doesn't take pleasure. Um, in Isaiah 63, it says, in all, talking about the, the Old Testament children of Israel, he says, in all of their distress, he too was distressed. So whatever you're going through, he is with you and he understands it. And just the second thing really is to remember that other people are for you too. And, um, you know, we're part of a church And this is a church where people are encouraged to pray for one another and to share and to to live in reality. It's not all about coming on a Sunday morning and smiling on the outside while you're crying on the inside. You know, um, there will be, at any time in church life, there'll be people who are rejoicing and people who are weeping. And God says to us in Romans 12, verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I, I love the way God is so practical and simple, but profound. It's like when he's talking about husbands and wives. He says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. You know, it's very simple. But books have been written about it. And I'm sure with this, God's, 
I think he knows we can't take too much, so he keeps it simple. And he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. So if there are people around you who, who are being blessed, rejoice with them. As, as, it can be hard sometimes to rejoice with people who, um, if you're going through a bad patch yourself, or if you see somebody being blessed in an area that you've sought God about and haven't seen in your own life, it can be hard. But rejoice. It's about not giving into envy, but rejoicing genuinely with those who rejoice. And then weeping with those who weep. Again, that can take time out of your busy schedule and your to-do lists to actually phone somebody, to visit them, to spend time with them, to text them, whatever it is. But the Bible says, weep with them. And don't always feel that you've got to offer advice and sort them out. I think often when people are in need, our first we don't want to see people in need, so we try and sort it out, don't we? We try and fix it. And I remember a friend of mine saying to me, I hope this is okay to say. Um, she said, oh, she said, whenever I tell my husband my problem, he always goes into sort mode and immediately tries to fix it for me. And she said, actually, I just want to be listened to. And I'm sure that works the other way around as well. Um, it's about listening to one another as well. And I, I, I just smile when I read about Job, not really about what happened to him because the poor man went through so much. But it says he's, his friends arrived and he said... For seven days, they just sat in silence because they saw what a state he was in. And I think if they left it at that, that probably would have been good. The problem was when they opened their mouth and started trying to tell him how he could have done it differently and better and where he'd gone wrong and how they would have done it differently. So I don't think, I think we do need to be able to offer one another advice, but just be careful um, about not being judgmental because we don't know, but God does. He knows everything. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And I think, so it's about recognising that others are for you, not hiding away. I, I've had people before saying to me, oh, I just feel a bit of a heel, so I'm, I'm staying away from the church at the moment to sort myself out. Please don't, because we're all weak links here. There's nobody that's strong. And come, come to God and come to the church when you're feeling weak. Don't stay away. And the other verse I just want to draw our attention to is the bit about asking for wisdom, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 5. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And this is a non-conditional promise of God. There are promises like that in the Bible that you can live on every day. It just says, if anyone lacks wisdom. And I think the, the writer is hoping that we'll realise that most of the time we do. We do lack wisdom. And even when we think we know what we're doing, God actually knows better. You know, he is the Alpha and the Omega. There's a hint in that. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows all the people that you relate to, inside out. He knows what has happened and what will happen. And he knows you better than you know yourself. So it makes sense to bring him into the equation and, and not just use this verse as a kind of get me out of prison quick card when you're in trouble. You can do. But try getting into the habit of using it every day of your life. Just saying to God, Father, what would you do here? What's your advice? What's your wisdom? And just trying to get more and more, allowing God to give you his perspective on life and his, his, his perspective, which is the true perspective. And I found in my life often God will just give you one sentence and it will just unlock whole situations and when, you, when he says something to you it's not 
it's not something you that's completely contrary to everything. You, you, you suddenly see the wisdom. You think, yes, that really is how it is. But I hadn't seen it like that before. Because often we, we, we look at things from our own perspective. And getting God's perspective on things is an amazing thing to do. And I, I recommend it. And I was mentioning earlier that um, the first time I remember really using this verse was when I was, I was going out with somebody. And I, I just wasn't sure... Um, whether we should continue or not and I was dithering and, and like, like in James it talks about being of two minds and you know I really was double minded I couldn't make up my mind what was the best way forward and I read this verse and I said to God I, I want wisdom you've said I'll give wisdom if you ask for it okay I'm asking and could you give it to me by the end of today please because I'm fed up of dithering and not knowing and, I, and actually there's nothing worse than being undecided is there and just not being able to make your mind up and by the end of the day God had and he didn't say to me continue going out with this person or don't he didn't give me that what he gave me was insight into the situation and I could suddenly see what was happening and then I knew what to do so I just recommend it to you and uh, I was mentioning earlier about a a friend of mine um, who's he was such a, a lovely guy, and he was full of integrity and good at his job. But he, he, uh, somebody was promoted as a manager who was basically a bully. So he was bullied in the workplace. And you can see the attack of the evil one because he, he lost confidence in himself. You know, he went from being somebody who, knew, who thought he knew what he was doing and ended up becoming somebody who was constantly having to ask his manager whether he'd done the right thing or not. He'd lost confidence. And that's very much a, a Satan's ploy, isn't it? He always wants to steal from us who we are in Christ and what God's given us. And, and this, my friend, ended up having to take early retirement and having to have medication. And uh, I was talking to him about this painful time in his life. And he... Because when he left, his friends also, all, the, all his colleagues said to him, you were the best guy in the job, and whenever you came on site, we knew we were going to have a good job done. So that was the truth. But he basically lost um, through this bullying. And he said to me, there were two times in my life when I, I could have challenged this man, and I didn't because I was afraid of confrontation. And he said, looking back on it now, I should have done and he said, he said, you know, in hindsight, he said to me, Catherine, hindsight's a wonderful thing. He said, I sometimes wonder why God didn't tell me at the time. And I said to him, did you ask him to? Did you ask him for wisdom? Because I was preparing this talk, so I was interested to know. And he thought a bit and he said, no, I didn't. And I just want to say to you this morning, I believe God likes to be asked and that is a really important thing. And I, I sometimes think, you know, we, I don't know whether you've heard, I've heard this said before, uh, those who ask don't get. That is not a biblical principle, okay? The Bible says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask and you will receive. And later on in James, it says, um, you don't have because you don't ask. So I just want to encourage you to, to ask um, for wisdom. So the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, anybody... Ask God. And it says God gives generously without finding fault. He doesn't rebuke you. He doesn't reproach you. If you come to him, even in the middle of a mess, you will find he is very welcoming and very gracious. 
In verse 9, it says that he, it says the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the man who is rich should take pride in his low position. And you think, well, where does that fit in with this? And as I've been reading it, my understanding of that is that if you are feeling well off this morning in terms of this world, you know, you've got a good job, finances are good, relationships are good, health and strength is there. Still, the thing that you ought to take pride in is the fact that you belong to Christ. That's the important thing, and that's what makes the difference. Be grateful that you're Christ's, and nothing without him. And um, in, uh, in the Gospels, it talks about the disciples coming back. Jesus had sent them all out, and um, they came back from mission, and they were rejoicing because the demons were subject to them. And Jesus said, no, rejoice in this, that your name is written in heaven. And just, even if you're going through a good time, we're rejoicing with you. But just remember, your, your name is written in heaven. You're known by God. That's what really counts. And if you're going through a bad time, if you're in humble circumstances, health isn't so good, finances aren't good, relationships are, are, are pear-shaped, whatever it is, then take comfort from your high position in Christ. You belong to Jesus and nothing can take you from his hand. And God has promised the crown of life to those who follow him and persevere under trial. And that begins in this life. That's not just for the next life, that's for now. And the Bible says, it also says, I'm just going to finish with this. It says, James 22:25 says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. If you listen to the word... But don't do what it says. You're like a man who looks in the mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But if you look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue to do this, not forgetting what you've done, you will be blessed in what you do. So when God gives you a word, I can't tell you how quickly it is, how easy it is to forget it. I've had this experience in my own life. I remember I was in a church and... um, I was praying something, I was, I, I was, and I, somebody stood up and gave a prophetic song that was the absolute answer to the question I was asking in my head. It was one of those moments when you think, oh my goodness, God really does know everything, I think. Um, but this person added a bit more to it that didn't seem to be quite so relevant. So I thought, oh, perhaps it wasn't for me then. I managed to convince myself, looking back, I think it was amazing I did this. I managed to convince myself it wasn't for me. And then two weeks later, that man came up to me and he said, do you remember me bringing a prophetic word two weeks ago? And I said, yes. And he said, well, that was for you. God told me to tell you that was for you. And I said, well, I I sort of discounted it because it had a few other bits and they didn't seem so relevant. And he said, well, no, God told me that I'd added those bits. (laughs) And God told me in future to stick to the script and not add bits. (laughs) That's another lesson to be learned there, I guess. But, um, but, you know, I, I can't believe I'd forgotten that word. And um, so when God says something to you, it's like the, it's like the Emmaus Road experience. You know how the, um, Jesus spoke to the um, disciples on the road to Emmaus and it said, he, he unfolded the scriptures to them. And then at the end, when he'd gone and they realized who he was and he disappeared, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he spoke with us? And what I'm saying to you this morning is listen for that heartburn. It might come when you're talking to a friend. It might have come this morning. It might be when you're listening to a piece of music, walking um, along. It could come at any point. 
when you hear God speak to you, listen and make a note of it. Don't forget it because the birds of the air will come in and take it from you. But if you can remember what God is saying to you, treat it as, as God initiating interaction with you and respond Respond to him and listen to what he's got to say and seek him and meditate on it. And the Bible says if you do that, you will be blessed in what you do.